Hi, Tom. Hello, Heron. So I've got a few topics in front of me. Do you have any topics for this evening? Oh, I've got a couple things going okay. on here. One of the things I realized, you know, this being the beginning, well, nearly halfway through, anyway, coming up on halfway through my third sabbatical year. Did we do the math on this? I thought we worked out it was your, the fourth year. You and I uh, have been recording, I'm pretty sure, yeah, I, I think we did this math recently and we worked out it was actually your fourth year. Well, I suppose it depends on how you define something. I'm thinking of it as this is the beginning of the third, but it may be, you know, there may be a way to <laughs> put it together that way, too. I wouldn't yes. argue with it. <laughs> anyway. But anyway, I realized, you know, and my, my, and health is really a central issue on this thing. Mm. You know, being 70, mm-hmm. um, you know, I'm, I'm beginning to wonder, you know, whether this 10,000 year idea, <laughs> You know, just how wise is this? You know, mm. and that if I if I you know am going to do this, I really do need to get myself physically healthy. Mm. And I've spent so many years working on getting myself mentally and intellectually healthy that I've I've really just been lucky physically. You know, I've always had pretty good health and and been plenty of energy and all that, but. That's beginning to change, and I, and I, you know, and I've realized that I need to get physically healthy again. But what I realize is that underneath all this is that I really have some deeply ingrained brain damaged thinking patterns that I guess you know probably most of us you know have. You know, I mean, how, how you can't be raised in this world and not be fucked up. You know, so. I've been lucky that I've been healthy, basically, because I sure have never really done much to cultivate it. And, uh, and I've been sort of stuck for the last three or four months, haven't, you know, and, and it's just in, in the past week that it's, I've begun to see it change again. And I sort of suspected this was going to happen. You know, there are going to be places where I, you know, get stuck. And, um, anyway, it's just, um, <laughs> I'm not quite sure what the word is. Humbling, I guess, uh, to deal with this stuff, to realize how deeply fucking brain damaged I am. You know, it, it's just miraculous, actually, that I'm even still alive. I've got clearly got OCD and probably some aspects of Asperger's. You know, you can get tested for both those things relatively easily. Oh, I know. It, well, it doesn't really make any difference, actually, what they say. Well, you know? I mean, the genetic testing is interesting. I've done the genetic testing recently, uh-huh. and it says my OCD, if it exists, is 100% nurture, because my DNA doesn't show any indications that I should be OCD. And I think what's fascinating through these kind of studies is you could talk about them Perhaps not with any degree of accuracy, but at least with <laughs> well, some that kind would of... be, seem to be sort of an important thing, though. Well, I, I would put to you that I have slightly more accuracy having done this DNA thing than you have speculating about what you feel internally. Well, you have a different kind of uh, accuracy. I wouldn't say you have more accurate. You've got some information that I don't have. The when I was in high school, that, I had a friend who bought or picked up in a second-hand bookstore some kind of self-analysis book associated with a wide variety of distinct (laughs) psychological, you know, issues. And he'd folded down every corner associated with ones that he thought he had. He passed me the book, and more corners were folded down than were not. I mean, my perspective is, 
you have these you have these ideas which you can act on and perceive. I mean, it, until you meet people that have to compulsively turn on and off light switches. Well, no, there's a whole spectrum and, of that. Clearly, no, I clearly yeah. am on the very low end of that. Yeah. I mean, I understand that, but it's clear that that that's part of my makeup. This thing I have about symmetry and and various things. Anyway, again, everyone is unique. I Catholic school. I'm sorry, what? That could just be going to a Catholic school. Oh, it doesn't really make any difference where it came from. If I'm stuck with it as part of my underlying uh, structuring uh, linguistics abilities, then, you know, who gives a shit where it came from? The point is, what do I do with it? (laughs) Well, I guess, yeah. I mean, I don't know. It just seems to be a series of really quite curious twists and turns to end up... I mean, I thought you were talking about your physical health, i.e. your weight well, loss. Well, I am. That seems but to be but my physical health obviously is related to my behavior. Could it be related to the weather? I mean, people tend to find it harder to lose weight through the colder months. That's because we're monkeys and our bodies I suppose do that. there's all sorts of possibilities. Yes. But that doesn't... Well, listen, I'm just sharing what I'm thinking, you know. I'm sure there are other ways to put it together, <laughs> you know. Yeah. But I'm... Quite well. Again, this is just my analysis of it. I'm not suggesting it's the total truth. It's just what I'm thinking about. Yeah. You know. So never mind. We'll, I'll go on to something else. I we I know we've talked about this before, but I'm still stunned by the amount of email spam I get. Oh yeah. You know, but my I mean my spam filter does pretty good, so I don't often pay much attention to it but i uh, every once in a while i'll just sort of look through it to see what the fuck is going on there and i'm just stunned i mean i'm wondering i mean i mean somebody must be making some money and probably a few people are making a bunch but i'm wondering who actually is responsible for this is it some guy somewhere congressmen and senators they decided in about 99 2000 the direct mail lobby that pays them a small fortune annually to continue to get their support represented a legitimate enterprise which had to be protected by US law. So rather than banning this lunacy, I get calls all the time too, which are slightly more irritating than spam. Oh, yeah. And really? Yes, I don't get, I get calls. I get three a day. I get three a day on my cell phone. You know there's a no call list. I put my stuff on the no call list. These are automated calls. Uh, yeah, no but I don't get those. the no any... call list. Okay. In any case, yeah. our, our brilliant you get leaders. Three a day? Yeah, our brilliant leaders decided that rather than banning this thing that was just wasting vast quantities of time and clogging up servers and the internet and in general, they were going to make this thing legal. Well, the question I have is, of all the people that are making money, there are, you know, X number of thousands of people who are somehow or other making money on this. And I'm wondering what the distribution of income is on that. If it's pretty much like the rest, there's a couple people, you know, four or five that are making hundreds of dollars. I would say that there are at least dollars. 120 people in Washington, D.C., if not the lobbyists as well, that are making, you know, low-end but probably six-figure sums. Just okay. And are there any – I mean, what I'm curious, is there a large section of people who are – you know, just making a little bit of money. On well, let's it. not. Con- I mean, what you're considering is that there are guys in Nigeria that are actually writing these emails. Well, that's the it. thing. Is I'm curious. Yeah. What the, I don't think that's that doesn't seem to be a big part of it. Most of the. I mean, when I look through it, what I see is people selling shit. You know, well, or sc- trying to scam people or wide variety. Yeah, well, well, whatever, all sorts of things. But I haven't seen too many Nigerians. Well, I, I blame agents. I blame credit card companies because in terms of the physical spam that I receive, the junk mail that I receive. 
the credit card companies contribute to probably about 80% of that. And the thing that strikes me through this is that once it becomes legitimized, and once it's a culture that's in Washington, you know, where they have oysters and, you know, lunches and all this kind of stuff, we're just screwed, Heron. And the technology companies have been complacent. Everyone along the line has been complacent to waste. Well, time. it's not, but the thing is, it's for me, it's almost a non-issue. I mean, I'm sure I miss some stuff occasionally, but everything just goes straight in my spam thing, and I never even look at it, you know? So, and I'm thinking, you know, probably I'm not the only person in the world who does that. So I'm, I'm just curious, you know, I mean, I guess it works enough to make them still do it. But well, it works God. for the credit card companies. I mean, the credit card companies, in terms of the way that they solicit people and get people to sign up and all this related nonsense, it works for them. works for the energy companies. I mean, after the credit card companies, the energy companies are the next highest number that phones. Energy companies who, who, who I, I would go there and they would get my they're money for get doing off, what? They're trying to get you off your current energy provider to their energy provider. Okay. All right. So they want you to switch from PG&E to their okay, energy Okay, so whatever. Provider. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Or their insurance company from your current insurance yeah, company. Yeah, yeah, a lot of insurance credit stuff. Card. But see, that's precisely the kind of stuff that I would think would be so – I mean, that's what spam filters were made for. Mm. You know, I mean, mm. what percentage of people – I mean, who actually read this? I guess that's what just astounds me is that mm. – is that apparently some percentage of people, a significant percentage of people, mm. apparently, yeah. g- end up spending money on this shit. Yeah. It's just, I, I don't understand that. Well. <laughs> I mean, how could they be that stupid and have extra money? Well, they don't after these people are talking. <laughs> well, that may be it. This is yeah. their last purchase. Yeah. <laughs> no, when my wife's grandmother passed, we went through all her paperwork and she was – Constantly being solicited and scams that required her to send money regularly. Oh, but did she, she do it, though? Yes. No, I mean, you're the demographic that they're aiming at, Aaron. I mean, maybe slightly, you know, less conscious than you are. But still, it's the people at the end of their life where they have amassed some degree of money, usually if they participated in the dubious society. Then along comes something that's confusing and sounds legitimate. Yeah, yeah. They miss all the wrong Okay, so you think a words. large percentage of this money is coming out of old people? Then. No, I think, well, look. Well, that makes spam, sense, actually. Spam end to end covers so many different things. When most people talk about spam, they're thinking of Nigerian well, folks. Well, penis enlargement yes. comes to mind. Yes. <laughs> so that's I mean, getting young When guy. I think about spam, I think of Washington, D.C., because these are ultimately <laughs> the crooks that made it legal. <laughs> it could have been illegal. Well, say, I don't really care. I'm just interested in the whole structure of the system. I mean, uh, I don't care whether they change it or not because it really doesn't affect me that much. I just don't pay I'm any attention. I'm sick of it. I think it's just indicative of how. Well, see, but I don't deal with that. I assume I'm going to lose a little bit, you know, occasionally something, you know, but basically I, I don't spend five minutes a week on email, you know, I, I just don't. I just find it extraordinary that so many enterprises are specifically designed to waste our time and take our money. Oh, yeah. And yeah. then the ones that are being protected by Washington. Yeah, I, I mean, know. that just strikes me that the whole thing is just completely ass backwards. Oh, well, that's – well, but yeah, that's – I don't <laughs> – that's my starting point. Exactly. It's just one more. But it's just – I, I, say, you I have just, to say it out loud really for some understand people to hear it, though, Heron. Pardon me? You have to say it out loud for some people to hear it. You've got to, like, say it out loud just so people hear it. You can't kind of assume that this kind of – no, say it explicitly because if enough of it say say it explicitly, you change the narrative. Well, it's just with these I, I, like I say, I, I, it's hard to imagine. That, well, I guess it's just so inexpensive to do that they can afford to get a really small percentage of return on it. You yeah, know? yeah. 
Well, my feeling is you start with the credit card companies, you start with the energy card companies, the energy companies, you start with the insurance companies. These are the big spammers. These are the ones that are paying folks in Washington to maintain the status quo. I haven't looked at my spam recently. I'm going to have to let it collect again and, and go through it yeah. and see um, just what it is. A large part of it seems to be about male males getting laid. Hmm. That, that's yeah, my wife always enjoys it. reading those out to me when she receives them. Yeah. So. <laughs> Oh man. Well, anyway, it's just, uh, it's just, you know, it's just one of those things that, that I just, it's, I guess, again, it's just hard to imagine just how fucking stupid some people really are, you know? If I can interject just three minutes in here of a Heronstone addition to my particular perspective, you posted a phrase in the week associated with sex workers and coal miners. <laughs> yeah, that got a lot bigger response than I yeah. was a- anticipating. Well, I was going to respond to it, and then I thought, no, I really should save this one for Stone Ape. Mm. You know this coal mining porn? <laughs> no, that's a new one. <laughs> there is actually coal mining porn. Coal mining porn. What is it? Guys covered with, yeah, with coal, coal dust, dust and Either stuff. coming home to have sex or having sex in the mines or these kind of things. Oh, oh, it's about sex specifically, yes. though, about coal miners having sex. Yes. With other coal miners? In or some cases, or in some cases, the coal miners' wives, or, or their cases, dogs. The or, above. Yeah, I yeah. mean, no, it's amazing. Anything will provide a fetish in this society. <laughs> That's good to hear. There are, yes. yeah, you know, the universe has got infinite possibilities, yeah. doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, on the Stone Oak Facebook page, I'm more candid about talking about these kind of strange fetishes. On your <laughs> Facebook page, I was kind of thinking, oh, I'll tell Aaron, I'll tell Aaron on Friday. <laughs> You'll get a kick out of that. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, it's in- it's been interesting reading some of the people's responses to that, mm. you know, and, um, it started me thinking that actually a coal miner, I mean, if you had to compare coal mining and prostitution, uh, coal mining is by far more dangerous Yeah, physically. no, I do prostitution every time. Yeah, every time, man. Me one of those lines. No shit. Jesus, I'd be the canary. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's just fascinating. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes. It's actually strange, the phenomena associated with coal mining towns. My father... When I was probably four or five, in fact, my mother as well later, um, there was this, there's this city called Wollongong in Australia, which is a major coal mining city. What's it called? Wollongong. Wollongong? Wollongong. Oh, okay. <laughs> and, um, it's a major port as well, Port Kembler. It's got a steel mill. It's got a variety of things there. I've actually met people through model rail radio that call Wollongong either their home or their birthplace too. It's a big union area, obviously, as well. So I would go up with my father and, you know, watch the union members, you know, doing their thing. But they're all coal miners. So, you know, this perspective from my early childhood associated with these men that were coal miners. They're a different phylum of human being, really, which is why I find coal mining porn so provocative. <laughs> Well, yeah, especially if it's been in the family for generations. Oh, yeah. Yeah, well, that's the reason you go down the mines is because your father did it and your grandfather did it and your great-grandfather did it and all your uncles did it and, you know, even some of your yeah, uncles that's died in the yeah. mines and, you know. I posted a picture you. on my page about some hillside dwellers someplace in the world, mm. you know, and just speculating about what kind of world they live in intellectually, mm. you know, just how – how, you know, no electricity, you know, they farm everything right there on the side of the hill. As you have to, yeah. There, there's a road in, but it's like, 
for heart horse carts or something, you yeah. know. And yet there looks to be, to be a couple thousand people in this one valley there. Welcome to Afghanistan. That's what we're seeing. Well, the large parts of the world are so, like that. Yes, you know? exactly. But, you know. And, and it was just fascinating to realize that that's a, that's a different universe yeah, than we live You know, I mean, that's, they don't, they're probably not listening to us. Yeah. <laughs> you know? I kind of oh. fetishize about that with my garden. But anyway, continue on. You've got more topics. Oh, let me take a look here. I watched a movie called Noble. Okay. Uh, about an Irish woman who goes to Vietnam to rescue children. To, uh-huh. and, um, what decade? Oh, um, Present or? No, let's see. It must have been after the Americans left. Because mm-hmm. there are a lot of orphans and mm. stuff. And uh, Yeah, so I think this is after, you know, it was over. <sighs> yeah, I mean, I, I still watch movies. Movies are away one one of the reasons I still watch movies is to just get some input from the outside world because being a hermit mm. I only spend maybe 12 to 15 hours at most mm. a week you know having to deal with human beings you but know I'm sure it, you know this already but I'll say it out loud yeah. that you, in order to create a film about something there needs to be a series of constructions for this thing to exist particularly a documentary and when I saw well, any kind of film, yeah, any kind of film, but in particular, I mean, you normally think of you know Hollywood blockbusters as being the most created of these things within film, but actually, no, no, documentaries no, no. are no, all no, about it's the all edited, it's all created yeah, in the mind exactly. of a filmmaker. I understand, yes, that. I'm, but, I'm just, but that's what I'm the point of view I'm getting is the filmmaker's point of Certainly. view. It's not that the film reflects reality. Shit, no, no, but but still, you're getting somebody else's point of yeah. view. And and I think that's some value, no matter how bad you know. I mean, I, I I watched this noble one, you know, hoping to get you know to find something as more than just shit blowing up and mm. maybe being entertaining and doing it, you know. But um, well, in any case, uh, you know, I still haven't given up, and I realize that again, even in any movie I watch, I'm getting at least somebody else's point of view, mm. and that that's valuable to me. Yes, I I always raise the film Dear Zachary, and if you haven't seen it, Heron, please watch it. What is it, Dear Zachary? Uh-huh. It's a story. It's a story which I find so frustrating. I've watched it twice. I forced myself to watch it both times because I wanted to see if my perspective had changed. It's made by a gentleman that actually lives relatively close to me in Sunnyvale here in, in Northern California, and that's Dear Zachary. Zachary. Yes, Z A C H E R Y. A R Y. But yes. Okay, yeah, got it. Anyway, it's about a guy who gets murdered and how the murderer, who used to be his wife, raises their child. It's really basically about the naivety of grandparents and the narrator, because it makes absolutely no coherent sense, and you have the narrator just giving you this vision which is purely his own, associated with these circumstances, and if you don't scream at the television or computer or whatever you're watching it on, start throwing things at various points, you're not fully engaged with this particular documentary. It is, <laughs> it is quintessentially Northern Californian thinking embodied with very serious life-threatening issues. Mm. And if you, I mean, it keeps getting recommended to me, but I, and I, I will probably watch it a third time to see if I have the same kind of reaction. But really, it's a documentary. It's a documentary. Hold on, I may already have it. Let me take a you look. You probably have. You probably downloaded it in one it, of yeah, your yeah. So I'm thinking multi- very well terabyte done. trolls. And, uh, <laughs> yes. 
Yes. It is, look, it's quintessential, it's beyond language monkey, actually. It's, it's illustrative of pure pathology. And I think in that regard, I would recommend it to people just to see how long they could actually watch it for. No, by golly, I don't. And Z-A-C-H-A-R-Y. I think it's I-R-Y. It could be E-R-Y. They're both it's spellings, but I'm pretty sure it's I-R-Y. Try E-R-Y. Mm. Or just yeah. try Z as well, D as nope. Anyway. Yeah, anyway, apparently I don't yeah. have. So, so that, I think, is probably my, you know, it's definitional in terms of badly narrate. And there are lots of heavy-handed narration. Well, uh, everything is heavy-handed. Well, There's no way not to be. Some of them are explicit. I mean, I certainly like, uh, what's the grizzly man guy? Uh, Werner Herzog. Mm. And also Green something, who did a variety of films, including the ones associated Elaine Warnos. I mean, these are, the documentary maker is explicitly in front of the camera for a majority of the time. So, you know, in that case, they're there. You know what they do. They kind of bumble through. They do what they do. But in terms of just really bad narration, which goes against every possible, you know, survival is really, I mean, it's clear that survival is less in some people than it is in others. But you just get the sense that these people are back for generations, have never had to fight for their lives. They've never had circumstances where their safety has been in doubt. So they just have this kind of happy narrative as they proceed to all get killed. I haven't given a spoiler away. It's pretty evident through the film what, you know, what is going to happen. But, yeah, I think this is probably, in the documentary form, the most heavy-handed narration, which just goes against everything that, well, at least I did. I'm not sure of a general audience. Well, I think it just depends on the filmmaker. It's what he wanted, or she, or whatever. It's their film. It's what they created. What else can you say? So, Stonet listeners, check it out. Let us know what you think associated with Dear Zachary. I mentioned it before on Stonet. Let's let's get some some listener feedback. Can I? Can you hear me? Okay. Yeah. Okay. You're you're chewing something continuously, but aside from that, <laughs> well, that that takes care of that. Okay. Yeah. I mean, the weight loss and continuously chewing interesting tracks position, but we'll work with it, Harris. <laughs> uh, is the one moment is your mouth dry from your uh, food? Do you need libation? No, not at this point. Okay. Any other topics? Uh, let me take a look here. Mm-hmm. Nah. I mean, there's more, but it's not that important. <laughs> so I'm going to do this out of order. I think I will here. I mean, there is a proper order here? Well, I have them in a written order, which gives ah. an artificial order to them. Ah, I think okay. I'm so, gonna, yeah, that I'm was gonna... the order as you saw it. Then. Well, no, it's as it occurred chronologically as yeah. I wrote the things down. Yes. So. My wife's... My spiritual advisor, let's call her by her real yeah, name. Yeah, please. Her quilting store is closing down. And some for some reason, I think she was out getting a meal with these women. The topic of the fact that I had a Playboy subscription came up. I don't have a Playboy <laughs> subscription going forward, although I did get one of these crappy magazines this month. I'm hoping eventually it'll drop off. Apparently, according to this group of women, their 50s through to about their 80s, I am going to hell. Well, that's entirely possible. I think you already know this. I think our listeners have it pretty clear. We're all going to meet in hell. We're going to have like (laughs) yeah, that'd be a hell of a party, man. And the rationale associated with this was all very curious to me because, truth be told, my spiritual advisor actually reads the Playboys more than I do, and the whole thing seemed to be constructed around a particular perspective associated with morality, which the great state of Utah has enacted into law. Utah has now 
linked pornography with child abuse with a variety <laughs> of things. Probably animal abuse, too. Of course, yeah. Why yeah, not? Let's yeah, throw sure. it in. And coal miners, yeah. too. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, right. Yeah. Men Absolutely. smoking pipes, all this kind of stuff. Yeah. So what I found particularly profound through this was Utah had the highest downloads by, like, a multiple factor of any mm. other state of the union of pornography. So, I mean, I guess it really is a problem in Utah. Utah. You yeah. mean by percentage of people or yeah. total number? I think it's sheer volume. It's like <laughs> the least popular state or one of the least No, populous. it's not the least popular. It's pretty well It's pretty well middle populated. I mean, you've got to think of like the Dakotas, you know. These oh, that's things. right. There are other places too, but Utah is not what first pops into my mind as a highly populous uh, state. I would say it would be in the top 20. I mean, well, you've got big whatever. cities, you've got Salt Lake and what have you. Yeah. Anyway, what I found fascinating through this was the fact that, well, it's not that my spiritual advisor didn't defend me. It's just that she was ca- getting a lot of material associated with these women. So these women tried to make points like, you know, oh, our marriage was in doubt and that I was visually cheating on her when I looked at these playboys. Even though I had, like, I've previously narrated in Stone Ape and will do so again, I think Playboy took a turn to the somewhat disturbed worst associated with just perceptions of beauty and femininity somewhere in the mid, maybe early 90s, maybe late 80s, something like that. And the Playboy models, let's call them what they are, I guess, I think it's been really very strange and disturbed. I mean, I can't imagine actually getting sexual gratification through the magazine based on the women that are there. But it just seemed to me that this is still a percentage of the population here. You know, this is still a phenomenon that people have this... You mean that people... What? You're talking about pornography in general or Playboy in No, I'm talking about self-guilt. I'm talking about all these emotions which are typically established through organized religion to make people feel bad and dirty and insignificant and all this kind of crap. I mean, when you move beyond that, the liberation is amazing, but it means that you can have more meaningful discussions associated with a variety of things. I mean, these folk that seem to think that, you know, I'm going to hell because I had a Playboy subscription... It would be interesting for you to sit down and talk with them. Yes. They, or in the hearing about it's one thing. Yeah. But, I mean, to actually engage that point of view would be interesting. Yeah. You know? hmm. Or, I, actually, I feel liberated having not had to engage with that point of view, Heron. I mean, my perspective is it's good to know those people are out there. I'm glad they're not in my immediate company. And quite frankly, my perspective is the less I spend with these kind of people, probably the better. Well, that's – see, that's – could I keep saying? It's not just them. It's ninety-eight percent of human beings. Certainly, are totally under the spell of the voice in their head. Whatever fucking yeah. story they got running yeah. in there, that is reality. Yeah, some of these people are former missionaries as well. I mean, there are levels yeah. to this thing. Yeah, but yeah, I just—I mean, my wife didn't even know that she was throwing me to hell in this conversation. So <laughs> she just it just came up in conversation. I said, yes, I said a Playboy subscription for a few years. I mean, I've got old Playboys and stuff as well. I mean, I'm going to... I'd, I'd go to the 1960s version of Hell in a heartbeat. That sounds like the place for me. But uh, it really is very extraordinary that... I don't know. But then you have... Uh, what's the guy's name? Mr. Flanders, the guy who owns Playboy now, or at least is directing Playboy towards the cliff. I don't um, know anything uh, about... I, I haven't paid any attention to that in years. So we've I, talked about it historically. I, I know, but I don't... About you it. Know. But yeah, no, the whole the whole uh, sterilization of Playboy and making it into a kind of PG <laughs> enterprise... Yeah, I don't know why they just didn't fold it. <laughs> you yeah. know, really. If we had a good run, Even thanks, Santa goodbye. Yes, yes. That would have been a little too classy. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I mean, Heff's still alive. Who knows? But yes, I guess... 
I mean, when I deal with the community, I have to deal with this on a regular basis. I have to deal with a wide variety of people that have different perspectives. Yeah, and yeah but you, you, that's a different situation. I mean, generally, you're in, in a scenario that you have some pre- preparation for. And oh, no, some- never. No, the way the city throws crap at us, you just turn up and prepare to catch it. I don't think you can ever prepare yourself for the kinds of ridiculousness that you experience. Well, but knowing that, bracing yourself something for it to begin with. Yeah, you know, you know. getting your chest and intestinal muscles ready for the <laughs> for the showdown. Yeah, I guess so. Well, it's hard. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's why I that's why I'm a hermit. You know, mm. I just got tired of tired of that bullshit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have a group Thanks. of videos that I'm ready to upload associated with the short funk podcast video version. Yeah, I woke up early this morning and just realized, well, I've got to get on with it and record it. I think about six or seven episodes, which I'll put up once I'm done talking to you this evening. Uh-huh. So, yes, it's all starting in that regard. And I took a wide variety of stock footage early in the week and then work kind of threw in a few curveballs. In fact, it's lucky we we're able to talk this evening. And, um, yeah, so I'm not using any of the stock footage initially. I'm just putting up video of me recording these things. What, just a talking head yeah, thing? Just talking yeah, talking head thing. Well, it'll be interesting to see um, what goes. The main know? thing I'm interested in doing is actually putting the topics in their keyword points to see if that gathers folks. I've had good um, experiences with the closed captioning as well of videos. Mm-hmm. So maybe short funk is a sufficient link that I can pick some of them out maybe through initial popularity to add closed captions to, because that just pushes it over the edge, because they translate the closed captions to other languages, which means that you hit a vastly more international audience if you have closed captions. Because oh, Google has translation software that does it. I mean, you could try the closed captions without you actually explicitly typing in what the captions say, but you will get a lot of really interesting uh, translations based on that. So, <laughs> yeah, I bet. Yes. <laughs> had a little run-in with iOS dictation software over the past week where they changed short funk to short fucked and short fuck it, which I thought, what the, what the hell's going on at well, iOS? Well, you should change the name of your podcast. Yeah, short fuck it. Yeah. Yes, definitely, definitely. So, one glass point, or are you powering on through it? Uh, you know, well, this has all been so fascinating, I haven't had any you time had to drink. Sip. Oh, I've been drinking continuously. Okay, um... I'll try and step it up a little bit. Yeah. Damn it, Heron. (laughs) So I've been reflecting over the past few days. I had a relatively hellish day at work yesterday, and I came home, and I thought, I've been investing a lot of time in a lot of different things, but this Noble 8 20 years thing, there were two things that I wanted to get together. One was fixing the software on what I call the client side, which is the downloadable software, the app that most people run, um, so it could accept server code. And the other was writing a Noble 8 server that the, the previous simulation, what we're calling the client now, would connect to. And it's not actually that much additional work. I've been concentrating a lot on the music, a bit on the gardening, a lot at work. But I just thought I've got to put more effort back into the software because that ultimately is, you know, that ultimately generates skills of a tangible nature which I will have to use with work in the near future, but also skills that are good to have. So, yeah, I don't know whether I'll be able to allocate the time that I want to into that, but I can certainly put in some late evening time into doing that. And Mm. what I thought about through this is you talk periodically, I think we talked last recording, associated with your perception of my productivity. I guess my general feeling is that I compartmentalise time relatively well. I have a means of saying... Okay, I've got this much time. This is a model rail radio editing time. This is a, a stone ape editing time. This is a, you know, 
a recording of short funk. You know, I managed. It's yeah. a thinking of time. Well, once you commit yeah. yourself, yeah, uh, then it's it becomes relatively simple. But you, you know, if you committed yourself, yeah, you can set the time to Well, if you have a uh, an allocation of time, a production allocation of time, where you have multiple projects that you're working on. You can just slot those projects into your time allocation. For example, when I started producing short funk, I noticed that it was taking time away from other things just naturally. But I put yeah. in various optimizations and I worked it in such a way that I could just fit it in. Now other yeah. things suffered through that. Probably my yeah. mobile eight development suffered through that. But, you know, this is just the way that I think of time. Yeah, there are only so many seconds uh, per day. But so. how you allocate that time is the critical part. It's yeah. not, you know, the commitment thing is interesting because I think commitment. Well, that's what it means. Well, for you, it does. <laughs> I mean, for you, you're all about commitment. Whereas my perspective is, I think a lot of these things in terms of experiments that could go a variety of ways. Is the learning really the critical part of it? Most of the time, it is for me. Most of the time, the actual creation, you know, the actual. I mean, you can plan something for a certain amount of time, but actually doing it defines what it is. And we had this conversation last yeah. recording because, you know, this is just the way that I kind of piece these things together. Yeah. But I've... I've yeah, unless you're actually working on an actual project, it's pretty abstract, you know? Well, a people-facing project, I mean, something that people consume and pick up and utilize and, you know, fill some section of their day. I mean, this seems to be the, the stuff that I like to you know, experiment yeah, with. Yeah. And part of that is actually understanding when things are failing. I mean, working into, so I've just traversed a year into the second year of short funk and looking at the metrics and these kind of things, it wasn't really from my perspective, at least the kind of not necessarily success that I wanted, but just wasn't moving in a particular direction. I realized that the YouTube component that I was really looking for is the critical part of that. Yeah. It's the part that's missing basically. Tia's completely disappeared, by the way. While I was editing the last recording, she's not on Facebook, she's gone off YouTube, she's just completely disappeared. Yeah, I haven't heard anything from her in a while. Yeah. While I talked to her, she described that you and she had communicated periodically for like the past three years. You'd oh, I think had, we've known each other longer than that. Yeah, you've got Skype yeah. calls and this kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. So is it just the commonplace that these things happen when she comes back after a few months? Well, we've never been all that close. We've had some good conversations on mm -hmm. and off over the years. Yeah. And, um, you know, yeah. that's that's really all I can say. You know, yeah. I know. Yeah. I mean, I know uh, enough about her personal life to understand that she's in transition and she may just very well be, you know, mm. dealing with her own stuff right now. Mm. Fair enough. Yeah. Yes. Uh, so, yeah, this is my reflections on this. Well, you know, along the lines of what you were just talking about, I'm, it's not quite the same thing, but, it, but it, it, it's come to me anyway. In fact, the guy is a fellow Australian. I won't, uh, I won't bring up his name, mm -hmm. but, uh, has stepped forward and begun working with me to develop the, uh, that you know, uh, speaking and hearing skills, mm -hmm. or the, the listening software. Did he contact you through the podcast, or is he someone who's known? I, I'm not quite sure. I, I'm not quite sure how. I think through. I think he's a listener to the podcast. I think that's how he heard about it. Okay, and, and then he contacted me. Uh -huh. And uh, in any case, um, you know, I mean, I've had this idea for a number of years. Yeah, now. at least two and, and I've and I've messed around a little bit with it, but when you actually get somebody working on it and showing you the results of their work and asking specific questions about how this works or how that works. Mm -hmm. It's just, 
a whole different universe, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. And it's been so interesting in the past couple of weeks, mm. um, you know, to, to have these interactions with him because, I mean, I've never really l- had to look at the details of mm. how this thing would work, you know. I mean, I knew the general idea, but that's very different than specifically, mm. you know, how it's going to get done. And he, so, he lives in an Asian country? No, he lives in Australia. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. Uh, the whole idea of actually working on details and starting mm. somewhere and answering questions about, well, why this or how does this work or this or that yeah. is, well, again, doing it is real different than thinking about doing it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know? and and it's is just this fellow a computer science graduate? Yeah, yeah, I'm not yeah. quite sure just exactly what. Uh, yeah. He's he's been doing various things, and he's in the middle of a sort of a career change, mm-hmm. and um, and he's got extra time, and he just thought this sounds interesting. Let's play with it. Yes, and definitely. he's he's developing it all with uh, FileMaker Pro. Mm, that seems rather a curious. Well, he says it's a good way to test it, to mm. prototype it. This might know. not be the guy that I'm thinking of. Anyway, interesting. Yeah. Well, in any case, it's just. Um, it's just so interesting to be faced with his questions, mm. you know, and realize just exactly wh- what's it, what it's going to take to make this thing work. Yes. You know? and, uh, and it's just been great anyway uh, to have somebody to, you know, to ask specific questions about how does this work or that yeah. work, you know, because yes. – I mean, I assume I know, and actually I do, but uh, there are sometimes I have to say, you know, I don't know how to deal with that right now. I'll have mm. to think about that. But I didn't know I had to think about that before. Certainly. You know, so Certainly. It, it's just, and there's no pressure for me here because uh, he's just doing it because it's fun and it's a, you know, and it's part of what he's studying, I guess, too. Mm. So, so this is, he's taking this as an opportunity to learn something and, uh, and it's really helpful in me clarifying what the fuck I'm doing. Certainly. You know? I mean, we talked about this maybe five or six weeks ago. You were having lunch with an investor fellow yeah. in LA or someone who built Yeah, I haven't heard much. I mean, he and I had a couple meetings and, mm-hmm. and, you know, he's still around. I don't know. He want, there's somebody he wants me to meet, but I haven't met him yet. And, but the addition of this Australian, this yet unnamed Australian, yeah. is interesting because, I mean, this is basically what you and I discussed explicitly. I said, look, at some point you've got to create this thing either by yourself yeah. or with someone. Yeah, right. Yeah. Well, I can't do going, it by myself. I'm certainly not going to do it by myself. Well, it's interesting, actually, the process of having another person seems to be getting it out of you. Oh, well, that's the best way anyway. I mean, it's yeah. going to, you know, it's, yeah, it'd be, if I did it, well, if it won't work that way. It, it's going to have to be a collaboration between mm. You know, someone who knows what the what the fuck they're doing with that side of it, and I, like I say, I'm pretty clear about how my side's going to work. But you know, like I say, it, the two of us together will find out. <laughs> certainly, yeah, certainly, yeah. Very interesting. Yeah, yeah. It is. Well, I'm assuming if I know said Australian, said Australian will contact me. If I don't know said Australian, or I've unfriended said Australian, or said Australian is one of my many stalkers, then we'll just move on from that. Well, whatever, you know, it, it, it you know. But, I, uh, yeah, I, I have historically known people in that country, and a number of them either listen to the show explicitly or are just in the phylum that I would call friendly stalker associated with Australia. <laughs> yeah. So I've been spending time in my garden recently, and I've realized it's changed my perspective associated with time. Mm-hmm. Oh, I bet, yes. And I think <laughs> the thing about it is that... Um, 
the rustling of paper or the eating or these kind of things is really going to be audio that's going to be impossible to remove from the recording. Really, that sound is is that loud? It that's is sufficiently amazing. loud. Okay. Yeah. All right. Um, and with regards to time specifically associated with the fact that I appreciate there are some things that I do in the garden that are going to take at least a couple of hours, and they're going to require. I have probably about a hundred plants now of various sizes, and if I have to uniformly do repotting or you know, watering or these kind of things, I realize that there's just going to be a process that's going to take a length of time that I'm going to have to do. And it's changed a number of my perspectives associated with perceptions of time and also kind of like mental reflection as well. The most plants I've ever maintained in a garden typically have been in the order of maybe 20 or 30. Now you've got 100 or something? Yeah, and this is considerably... a big difference. It's a huge difference. And the greenhouse offers some you know, resolution to some of that, because I can put a bunch of them in the greenhouse and have to water them less. But in terms of the general interaction, I've also intentionally muddled their order. So the tomatoes and the green beans and the chilies and everything else are all kind of in a haphazard order. I've started to remove the tomatoes because I'm going to be doing very specific, you know, potting and orientation of them this weekend. But I've intentionally not organized them in rows or these kind of things, mainly for just the visual effect. I'm kind of <laughs> sick of visual order. And also, you know, it's just something that I think is really fun to haphazardly say, ah, oh, yeah, that's that tomato plant, that's that bean plant. I mean, they don't have names or anything, but I do recognize their day-to-day <laughs> growth and these kind of things. It wouldn't hurt to give them names. Uh, I'd run out pretty quickly. I think to use the note. You can way. name them number one, number two, number yeah, three. It's kind of boring. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so it's interesting, this, this shape of the garden, this, what I'm calling a Vietnamese gardening style, because my Vietnamese neighbours maintain it, is a different kind of gardening experience. And you were talking originally about the people that live in cliff faces and things like that. I mean, I could see this kind of gardening style being very portable to that kind of environment. Yeah. Because you don't have, you know, you don't have the problems of kind of contained soil. It rained from... About 4 a.m. to about 4 p.m. today. And in that experience, I, I was at late at work. Um, again, the paper thing is just going to be really annoying to edit out, Aaron. So. <sighs> Jesus Christ, man. <laughs> I'm sorry. A human actually has to go through this audio. Do you have topics you want to raise? I mean, do you have stuff that you want to put out? Yeah, there? Uh, yeah, I could, I'd like to talk about that noise. Mm. You think that's. A deal killer for audio on on so the internet. I interviewed I interviewed a rapper called uh, what was his name? Tight Torrey T O R A E. He spent the first part of the interview. It was a fifteen minute interview, eating chips, wrestling the chip bag, and eating chips. And um, it was audio that was interesting because he did have some interesting information, particularly associated with Apple Music. But it was fundamentally clear that this guy was just disrespectful, that it was just like fundamentally an issue that he didn't have a clue who I was, he didn't care the least who I was, and basically he was just going to eat chips through the recording. And it Well, that's a, your story, of course. He may have a quite different story about Well, that, other people that have story. listened. No, 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 no. This is the listener's story. These are people that have emailed me, individuals that have not communicated with one another, and have said to me, what the fuck was that guy doing eating chips in the interview? Well, Why yes, yeah, I'm not going to defend that. You know, that's, you know. So, yeah, I might have my yeah. story, but listeners have their story as well. Yeah. No, and I'm not going to argue with you about it. I just, again, f- for me, well, I'd have to hear what it sounds like. I can't, ab- 
I can't imagine that that would be enough that, that I would bother editing crap like that out. Mm. As far as I'm concerned, if they can understand what's being said easily, mm. uh, I mean, if it was interfering with the under, you know, with voice, then I would say, yeah, that's a problem. But you're not suggesting it's that bad, are you? You're just suggesting you're annoyed by it. I'm suggesting I'm going to have to edit this at some stage. And, and you're suggesting that, in fact, the voice part is un, is not understandable well, because of this? I mean, how's this, Heron? How's listening to this? Is this good listening? I mean, do you find this easy to listen to? Um, well... I mean, you know... No, no, uh, no, it, well... <laughs> okay, listen, I, I just, you know, I'm just trying to understand your perspective. I suspect... How's this for you, Heron? And you're doing that... Intelligible? Uh, well, I don't think that's the same thing as if I was doing this. What is it? You know? It's I, no, effectively, I mean, it could be the levelating, it could be variety of things. It's yeah. Well, and I'm just, you know, like I say, uh, I'll, I'll just put it away. That's all. It's no big deal. It's just that I'm, I just am much more tolerant, I guess, of external noises. And I think things. also it indicates that you might be bored. Ah. That you're not engaged in some way. Ah. In an audio I, fashion. Ah, okay. Now that I could understand. If I don't feel like I've got somebody 100% involved, I usually stop the conversation. You know, yeah. If somebody's, uh, if I'm talking to somebody and they're like reading something, <laughs> you know, or they're listening to something else yeah. at the same time, uh, I just tell them, look, goodbye. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, I think that's effectively the same thing. I mean, because all we have is audio here. Yeah. And if you're interrupting the audio with some kind of noise, then, you know, that's what it illustrates, not just to me, the participant, but to a wide variety of listeners. Interesting. Okay. I understand that. So do you have some topics you want to raise? No, I think I've had my say. Okay. <laughs> so there's a phenomenon in this community associated with littering, which I find really very curious. You go two miles down the road and there's absolutely no litter. You're in a nicer neighborhood. People are, you know, doing their thing. They're playing in parks, this kind of stuff. You come to our <laughs> neighborhood and it's strewn with litter. Yeah. yeah. And the community's response for the past decade has been to pick up the litter. To go through, do litter pickups, the president of the local community action association does it on a daily basis. She has litter rounds that she does daily to pick up the litter for these people that leave litter everywhere. And it strikes me as really extraordinary because when I was growing up in Australia, there was a huge stigma associated with littering. Like, people that littered were seen as, like, social reprobates. That yeah, yeah, yeah. You need vigilantes it's, and you need to murder those people. Well, yeah, that they just have broken brains. Yeah, right, yeah. yeah they need to be eliminated. Yeah, it's, it's funny thinking about this because when it's difficult to phrase this to the community. And I'm trying to work out how one actually phrases it because the idea of picking up after these people continuously just seems to be like it's not actually addressing a very distinct and curious problem in our community, which is that people seem to think it's acceptable. Either they live here and they throw trash out, but there's, there's a transient population. Here I'm not saying homeless. Here I'm saying that people that drive through just throw chip packets outside their windows. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, but this is, yeah. yeah welcome to America. Yes. It's not like, you're not going to find that in North Korea. Well, what's fascinating is we don't even find that in, in you know, two, two miles over. Yeah. This is yeah. very much this area's problem. Yeah, yeah. And the solution associated with uh, just having people that go out and collect litter, we've got a community litter pickup tomorrow. Well, that's a, that's a good place to start. That's a, a, a positive. But the people that are but the people are picking up the litter aren't the litterers. No, of course not. But but 
what they need to do is make themselves more visible somehow and make it clear what, what they're doing and why they're doing and how stupid it is that they have to do this, but they're going to do it anyway. Yeah, that just, it, it strikes me as a kind of, I don't know, there seem to be. Yeah, that would be a good way to make, you know, to, I mean, to do a, a public announcement thing to make people feel guilty for these good people out there cleaning up the mess, no, you I fucking language I, monkeys. Are my, my perspective is cleaning up the mess actually facilitates the people that are littering. It well, normalizes not, their behavior in some way. Because there will be people. Well, you, yeah, that's what I'm saying. It, re- it requires an education campaign to go with. Without question, some may say a re-education campaign. Yes, yes. Well, no, probably educated. They probably never were educated about. Well, this, this is shit. what I'm saying. I mean, some kind yeah. of education. Thing. Yeah. But I don't know how I actually raise this. It's one of these curious cultural things that you know, whitey with strange accent coming into the neighbourhood has all these curious ideas. Yeah. But I'm, I mean, my perspective is it's passive versus explicit or, let's say, aggressive. This community is extraordinarily passive associated with those that want to abuse this community. Like, they just, they're just they just happy to sit back and say, we're a poor community, this is what we've faced for decades, don't waste your energy time. What's or my even, standard answer to this? Uh, without question. Um, I'm not arguing with that. <laughs> but I'm saying even within this language monkey framework that we have thrust upon us, there needs to be strategic ways that you can kind yeah, of Yeah, well, that's things. the question. Yeah, what do we do with yes. a planet full of language monkeys? Yes. How, how, what is the proper or what is a way for me? Because your way may not be the same as mine. In fact, it clearly uh, is. I, I guess part of the problem here is because the president of the Community Action Association has spent a good portion of her life picking up litter. Mm, that's it, good. In fact, yeah. it represents her relationship with her family, her relationship with the community. I mean, it seems to me it's going to be difficult to phrase this in such a way that the community would accept, for example, I think all of, you know, the signage that's used to promote anti-abortion efforts and these kind of things, sponsored by, you know, local churches and what have you. I mean, maybe mm. go and talk to those organizations yeah. and say, yeah, look, clearly killing babies is a problem, but how about a little bit of equal time for litter-related stuff? Yeah, so I agree. That would, yeah, I, I think ultimately that's the only thing you really can do is try to educate and wake people up. What yeah. else is there to do? Yeah. Yeah. Except kill them. I mean, you know, you know well, I sit mean, there with a gun and as, they, you see, as soon as someone throws some shit out their window, you yeah. just shoot them. You know, there you go. Well, some people have been relatively vigilante about this and cornered people. And I mean, the, the classic example is we have a college close by and the college students contribute to some of this literate. Yeah. You know, they open up their car doors and all the fast food falls out and then they close the car doors and they keep on going, basically. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. That, yeah. It's hard to, hard to figure out what the hell, what motivates that kind of behavior. I think speed humps help along these circumstances. I mean, my perspective is because our area is seen as a thoroughfare, people feel a little bit less like this, that, you know, meaningful people actually live here. And that they can, you know, because they're just driving through, let's just throw that chip packet out the window. Who cares? You know? But if they drove through at a reasonable speed, if it wasn't just somewhere between two freeways for them, they might feel slightly differently about... Well, firstly, they might avoid it. Which yeah, is speed may good. have something to do with it. Because yeah. If you're going at 60 miles an hour, that's yes, not quite so easy to do. <laughs> yes. Well, yes. And I think there are a variety of things here. The problem is I don't want to make this a cultural issue, which I think it would boil down to relatively quickly in this community. Because, you know, 
there have been a strange set of circumstances which have come down to cultural concerns, which I don't think have got anything to do with cultural concerns. They're actually to do with, let's improve the community altogether. Yeah. And I think that's the difficulty associated with this issue. <laughs> You're a man, after all. You just like lost causes, don't well, you? <laughs> I think if there comes a time, a, a neighbour had his car window shot out. When did this happen? Uh, a couple of days ago, actually. This is one of the benefits of How far time. away from your house uh, is this? Two streets over. So, yes. I think we're getting to a time here where you can only win some of the things some of the time, and maybe we just need that kind of comic book scampering sound as we get out of here. Well, you know, this is all part of your life. This mm-hmm. is, uh, yeah. you know, you'll take your lessons from this and do whatever the fuck you do next, you know? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's see how this year pans out. So something that struck me when it struck me, and it struck me a few times over the past few weeks, and I thought to myself, I should have a chat with Heron about this, because this is just exactly the kind of stuff that he likes talking about. Oh, good. So <laughs> I found myself through the week, and I catch myself probably about once a week, maybe twice a week, using words that I don't know the exact meaning of them. <laughs> I just, it sounds right. I've heard it before yeah, I use yeah. it. Yeah, it probably is right. You know, and, it sounds good. Yeah, and, well, you know, probably four out of five times, because I do this kind of compulsively. Yeah, and besides, the they won't know anyway. So. Well, yeah, it kind of sounds right. You know, I've got a funny accent. I say a bunch of stupid stuff. Yeah, so. yeah, right. Yeah, you can get away with together. this shit. Exactly, exactly. So, I was thinking about this in the context of meaning, and in the context of language machines, in the context of all these various things that you and I periodically rap about. And it strikes me... I mean, the whole... the automatic nature of language that we talk about periodically that we don't actually think about what we say just kind of comes through in a flow just comes out yeah it just comes out mysteriously and our choices of words occasionally we can labor over certain words we can pick certain things out but usually writing makes a difference Mm. when if you take the time to write it down then that's a whole different thing but just yeah your language machine just generating it is ad-libbing. Yeah, and also it's the kind of thing where you can tell when someone's written something down. You can tell the written process because the way in which people phrase language when it's written down is quite a bit different than the way people... Well, people language. can learn to, to talk like that, though. A lot, a lot of academics are good at that. That's part of their training. Well, certainly because they write so much. I mean, they, they write... Well, they write and they talk... Yeah. And they, okay. They, they can they can lecture. Uh, I mean, it's not memorized, but it it sounds like it is. Yes, but the art of writing something is part of the language machine process, surely. Yeah, but it's just I'm just it's really writing is way more reflective than speaking is. Unless and well, and there are different ways. Unless you're reciting. I mean, if you're an actor on a stage. Mm reciting lines that's an entirely different thing than being a public speaker uh, but if you pub- spent if you spent 20 hours a week say writing if that was a large part of your week actually creating words on the page reflecting on it editing it this kind of stuff you mean to be published or just writing to keep notes well to be published let's take oh, it that far okay that's because that's a big big thing you know certainly well in that context People that are published, that spend time writing, that's part of their job. They could be an academic. They could be a wide variety of different yeah. folk. That becomes part of their language machine, surely. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Which completely explains the nature of the way academics speak. I mean, obviously, you write lecturing. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's what I'm, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Is that, yeah. But for most of us, 
Well, you know, it's different. There are, it's very complex. Individuals are all different. You know, what can you say? Certainly, certainly. But yeah, so go on. Yeah. It struck me that I guess a lot of the language that I use comes from either stuff that I've read or stuff that I've heard. And a lot of my speech mannerisms... Where else would it come from? Well, <laughs> no, because well, sometimes it comes through things that you say. I mean, the nature of musicians, for example, that write lyrics and sing lyrics and produce music and this kind of stuff. I mean, Shakespeare created words through the process, and I think many of us accidentally create words, some which stick, some which don't stick. So the speaking process is also important here as well. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's part of the input we get. We mm. hear ourselves talking. Mm. <laughs> I try to find times where I can use the term parenthetically, and I rarely <laughs> find times where I can use it. And, you know, there are various terms that I hear, and I just love hearing them. I think, I'm going to use that sometime. Really? Rarely happens. Yeah, yeah. See, I've never done that. I, I don't think I've done that. Mm. Set out to use some something in particular. I'm not quite sure. Hmm. <laughs> well, I was just thinking about that though. Should I look for opportunities to use the word parenthetically? And I thought, no. <laughs> you know, if it comes up, I guess it'll come up. Yes. <laughs> but fuck it, I ain't gonna go looking for opportunities. Yeah. Yeah. Juxtaposition is another word that I like to or juxtaposed. I mean, that's something where I will find myself using that, because it, I guess there are, there are more opportunities to use juxtaposed than there are to use parenthetically in general discussion. You need to think about, you know, relationships and what have you. Again, I can hear you, Harry. Yeah. I just can't hear you very well. Uh, you can't hear me now? I can hear you, but not very well. I'm so old. Yeah, it is. Should we try... Can I... What, what was the problem that we had with FaceTime? Well, we didn't have any problem with FaceTime, we just didn't try it. Well, no, you said that you had to be wired oh, to work on No, you have to be Wi-Fi in order to get that to... Oh, how boring. Yeah. It does yeah. improve over time, Heron, so we can just give it time. Well, we'll, we'll see. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, this is at least, you know, more... I mean, it's not that big a deal to just call it back, so... Certainly. So, uh, I don't remember whether I was talking or I was listening. <laughs> we were talking about finding words that we want to use in the future. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I like juxtapose. Uh, that's a great word. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Still can't find parenthetically, but far easier to find times to use juxtaposed. Yeah, parenthetically, I've n I don't recall ever having used that, and I don't feel like I've missed anything. Mm. <laughs> not having people that use it use it relatively frequently. Like it's I would think you might use it as a public speaker. It, it could be part of your like you said, like part of your routine. Yeah. No, uh, in certain kinds of situations where you're giving a canned speech, you know, yes, then that could be quite useful, you know, as a way of getting certain ideas out there. So yeah, that would make sense. Yes, I think. I mean, certainly the only person who I've heard use it frequently must have been, been Dick Cavett. <laughs> Uh, no, it's it's Casey Neistat. He has used it probably six or seven times oh, in the really? past year. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and effectively, do you think? Well, you notice it. I mean, it's one of those words that you notice, right? Well, so yeah. But the question is whether it it it's it serves some real purpose other than being noticed and being you know noticeable or not. I think it's always part of witticism. 
So, you know, it's it's used to make a joke, basically. Yeah, that's that's certainly that's certainly one really obvious way to use it. Yeah, there probably I would think there are others just as mere ex- expl- asides, uh, explanatory notes or something. Yes. Yeah. I mean, inversely and conversely, and there's another one that's used as well. <laughs> you know, there are all these beautiful words. That- you know, but the problem is you can't really use that kind of language generally. It's okay if you're talking to the, some professors at MIT. Everyone else thinks you're an asshole if you talk oh, like Oh, yeah, that's that whole uh, – that's that whole – uh, what is it? Stupidity of language monkeys. Yeah, yeah, that kind of anti. They resent any intellectual, uh, you know, pretensions of any sort as Certainly. they see it. You know, yeah. yeah. But th- but nevertheless, uh, that's there, and if you violate that, uh, you're going to lose a lot of people that that you wouldn't lose if you just avoided that. So that's one of the lessons I'm still learning. You yeah. Know? <laughs> I, I do wonder if in two generations this idea will just not exist anymore. Like Which for, idea is? Well, the, you know, I mean, I think the vocabulary is progressively going to reduce from 30,000 to 8,000 to 4,000. Like the average, well, not even the average vocabulary, the upper vocabulary folk. Where, well, there's a difference between operant and recognition. So, I mean, people recognize and understand a lot more language than they actually use. Certainly. But they are related, right? Uh, you know, I haven't really studied it. I, I don't know. I mean, that sounds reasonable that they would be. Mm. Well, I, I don't know. I think probably the, the the standard vocabulary – actually, they may not. It may depend on whether you're literate or not. Uh, it may depend on a lot of – in fact, I'm sure it must depend to a large degree on how much you read. Yeah, well, I think literacy is important. But the kinds of reading that's available now is changing dramatically. I mean, we've talked historically yeah. associated with – um, you know, how people read, like whether people read, you know, 5,000 word articles or whether they read 1,000 word articles. And yeah, it makes a big difference. Yeah, or whether they read a 800 page book. Yeah, yeah. Th- those people, I mean, aside from universities that force people, even universities these days don't force that kind of reading commitment, though. Well, it depends on the teacher and the class. They do, they certainly do. You know, but it, it all depends on the teacher and the course and, you know, these well, are graduate level uh, philosophy courses or something. You know. They still seem to – I think you have a very you, – your perspective is when well, you I'm went just, to college. I yeah, mean, it's not – yeah. if you look at what's actually being taught currently, and you can survey – you can survey Stanford, and I know you can survey – MIT, yeah. when you and you could survey some in. Uh, well, that, yeah, you're classes. right. That may all be changing completely. I, yeah. I still, you know, I can see a value in a course on, you know, on being in nothingness. I mean, a whole course just on that book, you know, yeah. or of course, you, you know, that, that just seems like an obvious thing to do. The army no longer requires push-ups, Heron. <laughs> I mean, there's something very serious. Do they re- require anything? Uh, I don't know, but they don't require push-ups anymore. I mean, this is the this is, I think, the phenomena that, and I don't think. I mean, we've talked. Wait a minute! Don't they go? People still go to basic training, right? Yeah, but the, apparently the physical jerks aspect of that would, you know, they need they need people that were going to go off and get killed. They really need bodies currently. And <laughs> we don't need you to do anything. We just need to go over there and get killed. Yes. <laughs> Come back and injured. That's the, that's the where slower the and is. fatter you are, the exactly. better. You know? Yeah. <laughs> you know? So <laughs> I think this exists associated with every aspect of our society. I think it's particularly, <laughs> we've talked historically, even last recording, associated with the way people are assessed and surveyed. 
particularly vocational training and this kind of stuff, I mean, you can't have a high rate of failure anymore because then you're looked on poorly, not the not the students. And I think what happens through this is you've got a few true believers, but we, we don't have listeners like this because they got sick of our narrative and went off to one of my other podcasts. But historically, we've had listeners that have been academics that have, you know, tried to fight this thing and they've either been pushed out of their positions or they've just realised that they can't fight it anymore, that they're just getting quotas of students that know so much less than the previous generation's quotas of student that they have to work through it. I was a philosophy major for Mm. a while in college and uh, went to a lot of philosophy classes and mm. knew a lot of philosophy majors, mm. you know. Can't imagine what it must be like today. Mm. No, they talk about sexuality and a wide variety of things that, I mean, we, we read Foucault and Sartre and talked about sexuality, but, you know, it's very curious what these, I mean, you need to survey them in order to get an understanding of how standards have changed. And mm. in that light, when you talk about language, when you talk about, you know, understood language versus spoken language... I think there's a very distinct ratio there, and I think it's a well, ratio. I think you, well, I think it depends on, again, whether you're literate or not, or what, not even whether you're literate, literate or not. No, it's whether you read or not. Yeah. You know, plenty of people are literate but don't read. In fact, most, very few people actually read. Yeah. So but, I think that's a, that's. But even within those that do read, there is a huge spectrum there. I, I don't know. That would be interesting to see. I guess it depends on what they read. Well, there's plenty to study there. I think you should uh, put together a research team and find out what the answers to these questions are. I think those are really good questions. Mm. I guess I've all, always naturally assumed, particularly because when I've found people that have read more extensively, they always have improved spoken vocabularies as well. Sure. And uh, yeah. I think that those things, while perhaps not... Uh, a law of the natural world, certainly through the general causation that I've seen, I'm pretty confident to state that to be as close to the truth as I'm willing to. Well, that's pretty reasonable. That's not all that. Yeah, that's certainly not an unreasonable outcome. (laughs) But then you look at people that are barely literate, but still survive. And you realize that actually, there's a huge spectrum here. But I think it's over time. Well, firstly, the nature of pedantry is such a cultural taboo to have a love of language that requires a level of precision is exactly what you know what shouldn't be well what it isn't acceptable currently well to a large number of people yeah well it depends on what neighborhood you're born into well this is where it gets very interesting because my wife and i very curiously found ourselves watching 60 minutes uh on monday And they had a piece on the redacted parts of the 9-11 Commission, but then they had a piece on a young girl who wanted to be a young boy, and when she went to college, she moved from being a young girl to a young boy, and it was about the trials and tribulations that she had at college. Her college here, or his college here, was Harvard, and mysteriously, they couldn't find a person in Harvard that had any problem associated with this former young girl who was now a young boy and in the boys swim team even though he didn't win on the boys swim team because he still had the body of a girl the testosterone he wasn't allowed to take testosterone through the transition a variety of other strange things but they couldn't find someone at harvard that had any particular concern with this you know transition case and I thought, well, that's really very curious, but it's also indicative of these 
the way these kind of folk think, right? This is just indicative of upper middle class to upper upper class folk that don't have these kind of predilections to these kind of concerns because, you know, they just don't have these concerns. Whereas the people that are concerned that my Playboy subscription might be sending me to hell (laughs) might actually have concerns associated with this thing. So, yes, there's a definite correlation between the kind of people that are in Harvard and the kind of people that are littering on my street here and that kind of (laughs) full, full spectrum possibility. Yeah. It's interesting what prejudicial thought actually does to you. I mean, in my case, it got me out of Australia. It got me as far away from the prejudicial thinkers as I could possibly get. Well, you could find a whole different set of prejudice, true, prejudicial true. thinkers. But I'm just so weird. But at least these, yeah, these are this is much better because it's a foreign yeah. set of prejudices yeah. that you can easily spot. Or ignore, <laughs> like explicitly ignore. And they're not pointing yeah. at me and cussing at me most of the time. Well, but they're, they're just more apparent to you also. Yeah. I would imagine they are. Yeah. So you're right. The wide variety of cultural factors, and like we talked about classical music, you know, the people that are still listening to and attending classical music concerts and doing all that kind of stuff, yeah, they're going to have distinctly different programming to, you know, middle America. I'm so sad, and every time I look at, you know, a new person on my list and I look at the music selections, Mm. you know, nobody listens to classical music. Well, you and I are uh, dinosaurs, Heron. God damn it. You know, it's just so sad that Mm. they're... Their universe is so tiny. I had a wonderful conversation with my spiritual advisor. We were listening to Haydn's, I think it's called Haydn's Emperor Quartet, mm-hmm. which is also the German national anthem, which was also my grade school anthem at the time. And I was able to sing, you know, Deutschland, Deutschland, Uber, Alice, and also, what is it? School day swiftly flow, may we always show here, your stay was not in vain. And pointed out to my wife that these were all... These, like, Haydn didn't write the German national anthem. Haydn just wrote a piece of music, which 100 years later, the Germans were like, this could be our national anthem, and then they picked yeah. it up. And, yeah, yeah, he was just another piece of music he yes. wrote. And it's funny, actually. Haydn's one of my favorites. Yes. He's, he's different. I, I mean, Mozart always, always gets all the, the, the kudos, but yeah. I still, I prefer Haydn myself. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, it's beautiful, because, you know, our school anthem was written by some stuffy person that liked Haydn, probably, well, clearly ignored, ignored Deutschland, Deutschland über alles. <laughs> and, uh, it's, so, and I pointed out this to my spiritual advisor that these kind of stuffy folk actually, have historically at least, left a legacy for the next generation to sing, perform, you know, muse about this kind of stuff. And I don't think that exists anymore. I mean, that doesn't even exist in the consciousness. Of- well, no, it exists in the... There still are people who who listen to that music. Yeah. It's still alive. It's not dead. Yeah. You know, it's just that a large number of people are just totally oblivious to the yeah. glory of what's there for them if they just fucking wake up. Yeah. But I think it, it's, it moves to a ratio of about a fourth per generation. I think this is oh. a well-decreasing number. I, I'm not sure. I didn't get that. So... In your generation, there, yeah. I think there will be four times as many people in any given time yeah. that would listen to classical music than in my generation. And in the four next times as many. Yes. And in See, my I, generation, I, there are four times as many than the next generation. Oh, if it's if. If that's true, then see, I don't think that's true. But it, if it is true, then <laughs> last year, it's over. <laughs> last year, I went to a youth concert. It was free. It was within walking distance. 
and they were playing Bolero. And yeah. Bolero is an interesting piece of music. I play Bolero periodically. It's a great piece of music to play with a lot of other musicians. Yeah, it's well, it's what it is. Yeah. You know, it's just a piece of music. Yeah, but I like it. I'm willing yeah. to say I like it. Yeah. Okay, might have been misappropriated yeah. by yeah. Disney. No, but... I think I I like it too. Yeah. First time I heard it, second time I heard it. That I I I, I don't feel any lack of. Having hearing that though, see, like there are some Bach things that I okay, but let's you, just let's just focus on this Bolero thing. But it's a wonderful yeah. piece of music. Yeah. Yes, I find myself occasionally just thinking of Bolero, and then the music comes back to me. It's something yeah, yeah. you know. It's not it's not everywhere, but it's something that just no, it gives yeah. me a little smile on my face. Yeah, you know? I got yeah, you know, spring my step. So I went to hear these kids. They were sixteen through to eighteen. Play Bolero. They were playing with professional musicians as well. The kids had the solos. None of them could hold bolero. And it was actually almost... You mean could hold it? Could play the notes correctly. Oh, okay. And it was actually... <laughs> Wait a minute, this was a performance yeah. that had been rehearsed yeah. and everything? Yeah. They didn't play the notes properly? Yeah. Okay, so I mean, did they do that on purpose, like they were no. ad-libbing? No. Or they just were fucking incompetent and stupid? Um, I think the latter. <laughs> and this was acceptable. <laughs> So when I say a fourth, a fourth, a fourth, going towards... And of course, nobody else even noticed. (laughs) Well, no one was offended except for me. I mean, the visual irritation that I... And then I realized it's just like a snuff film, like, how's the next play going to fuck this thing up? You know? (laughs) The breathing techniques out. Five bars, minimum, you know? Then it hits. Three bars, then it hits. You can't... This was like... This was like a yeah. cognitive train wreck for me. I yeah, had to come yeah. home and listen to Bolero four times just to completely remove myself from, you uh-huh. know, it was like a car, a series of car crashes. Yeah, I can't recall anything quite that bad. Spend time with youth musicians. Yeah. These people want to be musicians. They're part of something where they will move from what they're doing into being professional musicians. And I couldn't play Bolero. I mean, until you realize this level of assault that is Well, who was in charge? Who was running the show? Well, well, no, obviously not. No, he was. I mean, whoever put that show together and and thought that was... Well, again, I don't know what... They're just playing a different game. I don't know what the hell game they're playing. I mean, my advice, Heron, if you want to be truly stunned, if you want to take this language monkey thing to the next level, attend some of these youth concerts. See how well these young musicians play. Oh, I, I have no interest in the that. The discipline no that I went through, and yeah. clearly the discipline you went through, the yeah. hours of practice till, you know, your fingers moved without you even thinking about it. I mean, this isn't so, something... Well, no, listen, I, I, I don't think maybe that... It's always been a tiny percentage of people who were in music schools who ended up being real musicians. But My sense is I don't think that's changed. Pardon? I played Bolero as a 14-year-old kid. Yeah, uh, something has changed here, Heron. Well, maybe I'm. Well, I, I'm sure it has, but I, what I'm, I'm saying what what the change may be taking place in a percentage that didn't make much difference in the long run anyway. That I, I mean, I don't know. I'm just I'm making this up because. But I've studied music most of my life, one way or another, and and my sense is people who are real musicians are just a tiny percentage of all the people who are even in the music schools. I understand. But by yeah. the time by the time you're in high school, if you want to be in the music schools, you've got to be able to play bolero. I mean, let's have basic standards here. Well, no, you yeah. Well, you you get what you get though. But you're right. Uh, well, yeah. 
I mean, it doesn't happen in my neighbourhood, but I am surrounded by some of the wealthiest suburbs, some of the best schools. We have Stanford relatively close by that draws a good percentage of the, you know, population. Yeah. We've got UC Berkeley, we've got UC Santa Cruz, we've got UC yeah, San Francisco. Yeah. These are the people that... And I know one of these... One of the soloists went on to study music at a reputable university. She fucked up Bolero. And she's going on to do that. Now, something has changed here associated with standards. <laughs> well, maybe, yeah. I associated know. with concepts. But I think fundamentally, the group of the population that would have historically, a generation ago, or two generations ago, gone to listen to classical music isn't going anymore. Don't even get me started on the... Yeah, well, no, it's not, it's not about going anywhere. It's about it being available. Uh, they have to go get... Well... It. You know, it's you know, it's just somehow we need good marketing, mm. <laughs> or we don't. You know, fuck them. It's, it's it's all there for me. Uh, it's an endless treasure trove for me. But I don't know. I mean, my perspective is clearly everything that we say, everything that we say at some point is going to be completely useless. Not even have any applicable meaning to anyone. But I'd like to think that there was at least three generations where that was applicable to. And so many of these concepts that you and I hold so dear are dropping off far faster than that. Well, we'll see. I, I'm not, you know, yeah, I'm much more optimistic than you are. You seem to... It's you not know, that I, I'm pessimistic about this. I think there's going to be something different there. I think it's not going to be something that you and I or anyone... Oh, I, you know, I agree. Yeah, listen, we're heading into a new world. Yeah. And it's going to be... Oh, there are going to be some stuff that we were really attached to that probably has no place in the new world. Mm. I don't know. But it's not really up to me to make that decision, luckily. <laughs> I guess you know? my perspective is you want to... Cult, no, you want to define something which can transcend at least a generation or two. Really? Because if you can't do yeah. that meaningfully then your ideas, your theories, your modes of change are clearly just a waste of time. Ah, well, I, I don't have that opinion. If you like that story, you're welcome to it. Well, I think it, it's, the burden is on, I mean, I feel the burden, you may not, associated with finding some meanness of communication. I feel I've already done more than 99% of people who have lived on this planet. You know, I think I've been more useful to more people than probably 99% of people who have ever lived. Or maybe only 90%. Or maybe only 60%. I don't know. Mm. But, um, you know, for a brain damaged language monkey, I feel pretty good about that. I know for sure there are at least a handful of people who think I've made a big positive contribution to their life. Mm. For so at least one time. Yeah, right. So, um, you know, it, I would love to be even more effective. <laughs> well, know? I guess that's what I'm talking about. That ideally we would find means of affecting future generations. Well, I'm not done yet. Mm. I'm just getting started, actually. I'm a late bloomer. Mm. That's why I got to get healthy. Mm. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, it took me 70 years to figure out what the fuck I was going to do. <laughs> so, do you have any more topics for <laughs> Do I have any more topics this evening? Uh, nah, nah, can't think of any. Very good. Well, I'm slowly losing my voice here, Heron. 
and I've got a bunch of stuff to publish and edit. We might be actually moving back. I mean, I don't want to jinx it or anything, but we might actually be moving back to the weekly form. Well, yeah, you probably shouldn't have said that. Yeah, well. Yeah, and so much for that idea. So much for that idea. A pleasure talking, as always, Heron. Have a good night. Okay, good night. <laughs>